You say, why? Well, that's for the people that were here, so you can hear it again. And it's for the people that weren't here, so you could hear it for the first time. Amen? Leviticus chapter 1, verse number 1. Let's stand together, if you're able. And uh, the clock says 16. I can't see the first number. Amen? We joke, and, and, but really, we're here. We didn't come to get out. Amen? We came to get in. So let's just see what God has for us. Leviticus chapter 1, verse number 1. The Bible says, And the Lord called unto Moses, and spake unto him out of the tabernacle of the congregation, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, If any man of you bring an offering unto the Lord, ye shall bring your offering of the cattle, even of the herd and of the flock. If his offering be a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish, he shall offer it of his own voluntary will at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord. And he shall put his hand upon the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. That's a beautiful saying right there. Amen? Verse number 5, And he shall kill the bullock before the Lord, and the priests, Aaron's sons, shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood round about upon the altar that is by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And he shall flay the burnt offering and cut it into his pieces. And the sons of Aaron the priest shall put fire upon the altar and lay the wood in order upon the fire. And the priests, Aaron's sons, shall lay the parts, the head and the fat, in order upon the wood that is on the fire which is upon the altar. But his inwards and his legs shall he wash in water, and the priest shall burn all on the altar to be a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. I want us to look at the, these five offerings. We just read about the first one here in chapter 1. But there's five specific offerings mentioned in the book of Leviticus, and they are all, uh, they are all with significance. And I want us to look at that tonight. And uh, before we get into the message, let's, let's take a time to pray again. And I want to ask my dad if he would uh, lead us in prayer. And then after dad's done praying, Brother Brooks Subtle, if you would pray, and ask for God to speak to us down this time.
Yes. Yes. Oh, God. Yes, God. Yes, God. Yes. Mm. Amen. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. We looked at last last night as we looked at the book of Leviticus and saw how God called unto Moses. The phrase, the Lord spake unto Moses, is found uh, 72 times. I was reminded of that last night by Brother Earl after the service. The Lord spake unto Moses is found throughout uh, the, the books of Moses. And so God is speaking to, to Moses over and over again. Uh, but in, in chapter 1 of Leviticus, in verse 1, the Bible says that the Lord called unto Moses. And only four times in our Bible does it say, that the Lord called unto Moses. And uh, when you're speaking to someone, you're giving instruction, but when you're calling someone, you're, you're drawing them near to yourself. And the book of Leviticus is about drawing near to God. And uh, the Lord showed us last night as we looked in His Word, the way in. Leviticus shows us the way in to have sweet communion with God. Even though we're unholy, and God is holy, He has made a way for us to be holy, and He's made a way for us to fellowship with Him. And so the Lord is calling unto Moses. He wants him to come in to the tabernacle and to fellowship with Him, and He's going to uh, lay out the pathway in. And one of the things that He's going to deal with at length, and the first thing He deals with at length, is the law regarding the offerings. There are five separate offerings and uh, the Lord, the Lord uh, divides them very easily for us in the first five chapters of Leviticus. Chapter 1 deals with the burnt offering. Chapter 2 deals with a meat offering uh, or a meal offering. It's, it's, uh, uh, we'll get into a little detail about what it is in just a moment. Chapter 3 deals with the peace offering. Chapter 4 deals with the sin offering. And chapter 5 deals with the trespass offering. Now, I want to give you just a little overview of these offerings. You say, well, this is not really for us, and, and I, this kind of bores me. Listen, if it's God's Word, it ought to excite your heart. Uh, because even though not all the Bible is written to you, it's written for you. Amen? 
And so we can learn from this and we can profit from this. Now, God set up this tabernacle so that he could fellowship with them. But there's going to have to be some things taken care of in their lives before they could truly have fellowship with God. And so it is with us. Uh, we cannot just approach God any way that we want and, accept, and expect to be accepted of him. And so God is laying out these terms of fellowship to his people who, ha who he has redeemed from Egyptian bondage. And so this first offering, the, the, the burnt offering, it's the first offering mentioned by name in all the Bible. It's mentioned in Genesis chapter 8. When Noah came off the ark, he offered a burnt offering of thanksgiving to God uh, for preservation of his life and of his family. The burnt offering is the most common of all the offerings in Scripture. It's mentioned almost 200 times, 197 times is what, uh, is what I read here. And so it is the most, uh, the most uh, mentioned offering, the most common offering. We learn in these verses that the burnt offering was a voluntary offering. Uh, we read that in verse number 3. It says, he shall offer it of his own voluntary will. And, you know, a lot of times I think when we look at the Old Testament and we look at the law, we think of something that these things had to be done, and God was forcing their hand, and God was making them. Listen, the law, God gave the law to them, and, and before he ever uh, put the law upon them, he asked them to accept it. Do you know that? They had a choice of whether they would receive the law of God and live under the law of God or not. And they received that willingly and voluntarily. And, and many of the things in the law and many of the offerings we're going to see are of a voluntary nature. This was something that was done on their part uh, by their will to establish that relationship and fellowship with God. It was voluntary. Uh, it was also a sweet savor offering. We read about that in these verses. It was a sweet savor, verse number 9, uh, a sweet savor unto the Lord. And so uh, this is the, the, uh, the, the law of the, of the uh, burnt offering. The meat offering is mentioned in chapter 2. It's the only offering made without the shedding of blood. There's no animal sacrifice at all involved in this. It's a fine flour uh, offering to God, and it's also a voluntary offering, and it's also a sweet savor offering. In chapter, and it indicates for us, uh, the, the, the first offering, the burnt offering, indicates uh, total surrender. Uh, you read about it in verse number 9, it says, they shall burn all on the altar. It was the only offering that the entire animal was placed on the altar and everything was burnt on that altar. The meat offering was a meal offering, it was a bloodless offering, and it speaks to us of a living sacrifice. It's, there, there was no death involved in this, but it was a sacrifice to God. It was an offering to God. And I think we read something about, in the book of Romans, about presenting ourselves a living sacrifice. And so that's the meat offering. The, the peace offering is the only offering in which the offerer could eat of the sacrifice. So those, uh, those who would bring a peace offering 
There would be a part of that offering that would be designated to God and to the priest and a part of that offering that the offerer could partake of. And the peace offering speaks to us of fellowship. God and man partaking of the same offering. When you sit down and and you have a meal with someone, there's a bond that takes place. There's a kinship that takes place. You're sharing a meal together. You're sharing fellowship. That's what the peace offering speaks of. It's the, uh, it, it also is a voluntary offering, and it also was a sweet savor offering. Now, the, the next offering is the sin offering, and that's in chapter 4. The sin offering, where the first three offerings mentioned are voluntary, the sin offering was required. It was required that they offer the sin offering. It also was not a sweet savor offering. And the sin offering dealt with the sinner and the problem of sin. It dealt with the problem of sin. And, and, and when we think about the sin offering, we need to think about uh, uh, that, that we're, we're getting uh, uh, forgiveness, not, not just for individual sins, but for the nature of sin. The sin nature. The, the sin offering deals with the sin nature of man. The trespass offering in chapter 5 was also a required offering. It also was not a sweet savor offering. And it dealt with particular individual sins. You would bring those, they would bring that to God if they had offended God in a specific way. And it deals with uh, us having forgiveness of sins, of, of sins that have been committed. And so when we look at these offerings and we see how God lined them up for the nation of Israel, we understand that they have, though we do not bring a, an actual physical offering to God, we understand the principles of these offerings are still very much a part of our lives. And these offerings were on the basis of God wanting to meet with them and God wanting to fellowship with them. Now, when you look at these offerings uh, and, and you look at uh, Christ, I want us to, to see Christ in these offerings very, very quickly. In the burnt offering, we see that Christ has surrendered himself entirely to God, being fully consumed in his commitment to the sacrifice that God required of him. In, in the book of Philippians, it tells us that he was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And he offered himself as an offering for sin, and it was a voluntary offering that Christ made on Calvary. He chose. We understand, we, we understand that, that picture in the garden, in the garden of Gethsemane, and, and, and it's more than a picture. It really took place. That Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus is praying, and he says, uh, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. You know what he's saying? Lord, this, my desire is that I not have to become 
sin. Is there any other way? Is it possible for this cup to pass from me? But he qualifies that prayer request with the way we should all qualify our prayer request. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He willingly committed himself fully to the will of God on the cross of Calvary. And he held nothing back. Amen? So Christ, as the burnt offering, speaks of his full commitment to the, to the uh, plan of God. As a meat offering, we understand that Christ gave himself as a living sacrifice. That is, he continually did the will of his Father. He said over and over in the book of John, I've come not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And he lived his life. You say, Jesus came to die on the cross, and he did. But also, as important as that cross was, his life was just as important. Because had he committed sin, he never would have been able or fit to die for our sins. And so that sinless life, that devoted life, that living sacrifice that he lived day after day after day. We see that in the meat offering. Christ gave of himself and he laid down his own will and lived day by day by the will of God. And then in, in the peace offering, we understand this is probably the one we probably know best. Christ made peace with God. Amen? On our behalf. On the behalf of us, that middle wall of partition that was between us, that, that great gulf that was fixed between us, Christ became the mediator between God and man. He's the one who has reconciled us to God. Thank God. He's the daysman that Job talked about. He said, boy, I'd just like to see God, and I'd like God to, to speak to me, and I'd like God to, 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 I'd like somebody to go between me and God. And he said, there's no daysman that could go between us. What's well, that daysman? He's the mediator, the reconciler. He said, there's no man that can come between us and bring us together. What Christ Jesus became, that man that came and brought God down to man and man to God. He's the great reconciler, amen? He's the peace offering. And then there is the sin offering. We understand that when Christ died, he died for not just for the specific sins, but he died for fallen sins man. He died to take care of that sin nature. You know, there's this big argument. Are, are, are men sinners by nature or sinners by choice? The answer is yes. That's the answer. We're sinners by nature. So I, I don't think we're sinners by nature. Wait till you have kids. You don't have to teach those kids to do wrong. You never have to teach them to do wrong, but you have to teach them to do right. You know why? They have a natural bent toward evil. And each and every one of us born into this world have all been born with a sin nature except for one. There's one that wasn't born with a sin nature because he wasn't the son of Adam. He's the son of God, Jesus Christ. 
And so that sin nature, Christ, listen, when he died on that cross, he wasn't just paying for the individual sins that man has created or committed, rather. He was paying for our sin nature. And the salvation that we have is not just paying for the crimes that we've committed, but it's paying for the reason why we committed them. We're sinners by nature. Christ, as the sin offering, atoned for our fallen nature on the cross. He satisfied the wrath of God. Praise God for that. The trespass offering, Christ paid for our individual sins and His death on the cross. Now listen, when you look at these offerings and you, and you look at, it, it really seems like the, 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 most, uh, the most important offering, I guess we could say this, or the one that's closest to God is listed first. The, the burnt offering, your all is on the altar. And, and, and then the meat offering is that living sacrifice, and the peace offering, and it, and it seems like there, there's, it's going backwards. But you know, that's a, that, that's, that's a common thing in the Word of God. Uh, we see God listing things really from... From his viewpoint, not from ours. From his viewpoint. You say, what do you mean? Well, for instance, when God talks about man, and he talks about the three parts of man, we are three parts. He doesn't say body, soul, and spirit. That's how we say it. He says it's spirit, soul, and body. The closest thing to him, he lists first. And so when you look at this and you see the burnt offering, which is total commitment, that's listed first. And, and, and you see this progression. We're looking at it from God's view and not our own. When, when, when the Lord gave us, when he gave commandment concerning the tabernacle, he gave instruction beginning in the holiest of all and then going out. It's the closest thing to God. And so that's what he gives first and goes out. And, and you see that in these offerings. Now, what's interesting to me is that when we look at this, when we come to God, we come to Him in the reverse order as what's listed in Leviticus. You say, what do you mean? Well, when, when we get saved, the first thing in that, in that understanding of our, of our need of salvation, the first thing that we come to is we realize that we have committed sins against a holy God. The trespass offering. Individual infractions against the law of God. Think about it. When, when, and whether you're young or old, it doesn't matter. When, when you first understood that you were in trouble with God, it came about as a realization that something you did was wrong. Whether you're a little kid stealing from the cookie jar or you're a big kid stealing from the bank. When God brought conviction in your heart, you understood, I have done things that are wrong. I am guilty because I've done this and I've done this and I've done this. But you know what happens? God starts there, but He doesn't stop there. 
You know, what he, you know what he points out to us? The reason why you do this and this and this and the reason why you have a bent toward evil is because you are evil in your heart. You're a sinner, not just because of the things you've done, but you're a sinner because that's who you are. That takes us to that sin offering. Listen, when, when, when God... is dealing with a, a sinner about his sin. He deals with those, those separate things, but listen, if he never dealt with a sin nature, if he only dealt with the infractions, the transgressions, and he never dealt with a sin nature, we'd still be in trouble. Because the problem is, we may get our sins that we've committed taken care of, but what about going forward? What's going to happen with those? No, God's... Listen, when God saves you, He changes you from the inside out. He gives to you a new nature that's created after Christ Jesus. That new nature does not sin. Now, I, several years ago... I was, I was already pastoring at this time. I was, we're, we're having this Bible conference, and, uh, and I had all these preachers lined up, and we're going through 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And uh, last minute, one of my preachers had to cancel. And it, it was a different type of meeting where, where I had assigned verses to each preacher. We're going through the chapter. And so it wasn't just like I could say, hey, you preach this passage. You know, that, that'd kind of be unfair. And so I had, I had to preach in my own meeting. And uh, uh, it's kind of daunting, isn't it, Brother Brooks? Amen. And so I, I, I said, well, I'll fill in. And so I was preaching there in, in 2 Corinthians 5 and talking about the earnest of the Holy Spirit. And I, and I realized for the first time that there is a part of me that does not sin. You ever think about that? Now listen, if, if you're like me, you feel like you're a sinner all the way through. We feel unworthy because God's holy and we're not holy. And we've committed all of these things and we have a natural bent toward evil. But listen, when you got saved by the grace of God, He fitted you with His own Spirit. His new nature is within you. And that new nature, according to 1 John, cannot sin. Can't sin. I like that. I like the fact that God put something in me that can't sin. Thank God for the new nature. Not even sure where I got all that, but it was pretty good. That sin offering, he deals with the sin. And then that peace offering. You know, we realize we're, we're sinners and we have a sin nature. And, and, and those, those, two, those two offerings, the trespass offering and the sin offering, remember, they're required. Couldn't get around those. If you're going to be in God's family you had to partake of these. And you realize, don't you, that if someone is going to be saved, they have to understand that they're a sinner. 
they have to understand that their sin separates them from God. We cannot, we cannot subscribe to this new method of evangelism that does not deal with sin. You want to go to heaven? Well, who doesn't want to go to heaven? Hello? Only a fool doesn't want to go to heaven. Of course I want to go to heaven. Well, it's heaven or hell. What do you, where do you want to go? Well, I want to go to heaven. Okay, pray this prayer. Listen, I'm trying to keep a lid on it here, but that's not of God. That is not of God. You know what? Jesus had the, the woman at the well. He had her eaten right out of his hand. When he said, I can give you water and you'll never thirst again. And she said, sir, give me this water. You know what he didn't say? He didn't say, pray this prayer. Amen. I don't agree with that. Well, I don't care. He didn't say, pray this prayer. What did he say? He said, go call your husband. Well, that seems like a strange thing to say. Why would he say that? I think he had some information. I think he knew something about this woman. Don't you? Now listen, he wasn't trying to be mean to her, but he was trying to show her, you've got a need beyond just a thirst. You've got a sin problem. She said, oh, I have no husband. <laughs> See if I can dodge and navigate through this conversation without getting found out. I don't have a husband. He said, well, you're right. You don't have a husband. You've had five, though. And the one you've got right now is not your husband. You know what he's doing? He's dealing with her sin. It's required. That trespass offering, that sin offering, that's required. You're not getting into heaven unless you realize you're a sinner and that Christ died for your sins. And you've got to trust him. When they, listen, when they offer that offering, you know what they're saying? We are trusting that this offering will pay for our wrongs and pay for our sins and, and make a way for us to have fellowship with God. That's required. But listen, after that takes place, then the peace offering comes in. And the peace offering is fellowship. Now look, look. Pay attention. The peace offering, voluntary. Not required. Voluntary. Listen, you're sitting here this, this evening, and as God's just brought this, this theme, it seems like every meeting uh, this week, He's brought this theme to the forefront. People are satisfied with just going to heaven when they die. And they have no, no desire to fellowship with God. Makes me wonder if they made it to the peace offering. Listen, it's not required. You don't have to fellowship with God in order to go to heaven. You've got to receive His sacrifice. You have to receive Christ, is that right? But God's not going to make you walk with Him. It's voluntary. Now listen, you're, you're going to live a lot happier life if you walk with God. 
You'll be fulfilled if you walk with God. But it's voluntary. And this, listen, this is where revival either starts or ends. Right here. Right here. We think revival is people getting saved. That's not revival. Praise God for people getting saved. But that's not revival. Revival starts when we have a desire to fellowship with God. And God's not going to make you walk with Him. He's not going to twist your arm. He's not going to force you or, or make you spend time with Him. But He desires for you to. That peace offering, it was voluntary. Now, now listen, that peace offering was the first offering in reverse order that was a sweet savor in God's nostrils. And the other two, all three of these voluntary offerings, they're all sweet savors to God. You know why? You know what pleases God? It's not when someone says, well, i got to do this. Well, i got to do that. Well, if I don't do this, I'm going to go to hell, so I better do this. No, no. What pleases God is when we, from our heart, seek after Him. When we voluntarily offer on the altar our life and our heart and our commitment. That's what pleases God. That's what is a sweet-smelling savor in His nostrils. This peace offering, we fellowship with God. You remember when you first got saved? Boy, the fellowship. It was so new that now you could talk to God. And you understood that He heard you. And you open up the Word of God. And, and you're reading the Bible or somebody's preaching the Bible. And the truth of the Word of God just reaches out and warms your heart. And you understand that that book is alive. That the very God that made us has breathed His life into those words. And there's something, there's a fellowship that takes place. There's a nearness and a closeness. You understand, I've got fellowship with God. Listen, there's probably not a person in this room. There's somebody in this world that if you got an invitation in the mail, an invitation in the mail came from that person. I'm not going to list a specific person because half of you would like, a, like that person and half of you wouldn't. But there's somebody in your life that if you, in this world, if you got an invitation from them and you read, hey, Brooke Suttle, I want you to come have supper with me. You'd be impressed. Wow, they want a fellowship with me? Man, they're, they're famous. Man, they're powerful. Man, they're, they're, they're rich. How do they even know who I am? The God of heaven knows who you are. And he sent an open invitation to fellowship with him. What a wonder. What an amazing thing that God would want to spend time with me. That blows my mind. I can't understand. I can't even grasp it. But listen, don't let that awe keep you away from Him. Because the invitation is sincere. 
It's not just a covering the dots, or, you know, covering the bases, or crossing the T's. Or, let's make sure everybody gets an invitation so everybody feels good about themselves. My son getting married October 1st, managing the invitations. You have no idea. Well, I didn't get an invitation. Well, I didn't get an invitation. No, you didn't, Brother Earl. <laughs> Deal with it. But he's got to make sure all the family gets invitations. You know, and, and, we, and, we're, we're, and announcements. Now, there's a difference now between invitations and announcements. got to be so careful about all that stuff. You know, a lot of the times, you know, we're just trying to make sure that everything gets covered. Listen, that's not the way God is sending the invitation to you. He's not saying, well, I better invite everybody or somebody's going to feel left out. No, he wants you to fellowship with him. That peace offering. You remember that fellowship? Listen, you know what that fellowship leads to? It ought to lead to that meat offering. That meat offering is you taking your life and saying, you know, I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price. And so that means I shouldn't live my life according to my desires. My life ought to be a living sacrifice to God. Each and every day, I ought to lay my life on that altar and say, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? You know, this new fangled Christianity has that reversed. And it's almost that we're telling God what we want him to do. As if God is coming to us saying, Mark, what wilt thou have me to do? What an affront to a holy God. What a skewed view of Almighty God that we think that He's coming to us and asking us what we want Him to do. If, listen, let's just be honest tonight. Most of our prayers probably look a lot more like God asking us what we want Him to do instead of us asking God, what do you want me to do? But Lord, we'd like this, and we'd like this, and we'd like that, and we'd like this, and we'd like... Listen, and God, God says, ask. Ask and you shall receive. It's okay to ask. Jesus asked. But it ought to be number one priority in our life. Not my will, but thine be done. I'd like to have good health. God's blessed me with good health so far. I know it's only a matter of time. Amen. Why deceive ourselves? We act like we're going to be healthy the rest of our life. Guess what? Your body comes with an expiration date. You're going to expire. 
I'm going to expire. We'd like to have great health. You know, we work toward retirement. Oh, well, I'm going to do this when I retire and do this when I retire and do this. And by the time we retire, we're so tired, we can't do anything. <laughs> now our goal is to sit down on the front porch, amen, count the cars. Red, blue, white, orange. Honey, did you see that orange car go by? Let's... People all the time ask my kids, they come up, they say, what do you want to do with your life? What do you want to do? And, and I understand what they're saying, but it's a bad question. It really is. As God's people, the meat offering, it's not about what we want to do. It's not about what we want to do. And you say, well, that sounds cruel. That's a, that's a, you know, sounds like God just wants to control your life. Well, he does know better than we do. His ways, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are his ways than our ways, and his thoughts than our thoughts. I like how he doesn't say heaven, he says heavens. There's three heavens up there. We, we haven't found the end of the second heaven yet. And there's three. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are his ways higher than ours. His thoughts higher than ours. God knows better. Well, this is what I want to do with my life. We're holding on to trinkets, and God's got riches. We're chasing after things that are going to perish and fade and rust and rot, and God's got treasures in heaven that will last forever. Stop talking about what I want. I want to do this. I want to do that. Listen, you're missing the point of your life. What does God want you to do? Saul, he met the Lord, or the Lord met him, amen? We always say that Saul met the Lord on the Damascus Road. No, 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 the Lord met him on the Damascus Road. <laughs> Saul wasn't looking for the Lord, but the Lord was looking for him. And the Lord met Saul on the Damascus Road, and as soon as Saul realized who he was speaking to, he said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? If you have never said that, you need to say that. That needs to be your heart. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Put yourself on that offering, on that altar, day by day. That meat offering, that living sacrifice. And then the burnt offering is when all is on the altar. It's my dad's favorite invitation hymn. Is your all on the altar of sacrifice laid? Your heart does the spirit control. You can only be blessed and have peace and sweet rest as you yield him your body and soul. Each of these offerings... They take us a little deeper 
and our commitment to God. Everything was placed on that altar in that burnt offering. Everything. Not just the body. Romans 12, verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. That's the living sacrifice, the body. But the burnt offering takes it beyond. Not just doing what God wants you to do, but being what God wants you to be. Spirit, soul, body. Life, finances, health, future, family, all of it on the altar. We, we revere those who gave all so that we could live in a free country, don't we? We honor them. You ought to honor them. I had a guy one time come to me. He said he got saved at our church, got baptized. He said, you say that like you don't believe he got saved. Well, that's because I don't believe he got saved. But he came for a little while, then he left. And then one day we were having a, we were having a meeting at our church. And uh, Brother Artie Dean was preaching our meeting. He's at our, at our house up there in, in, in Canada. And one of the kids came in and said, Dad, so-and-so's out in the, he's in the driveway. He wants to talk to you. I hadn't seen him in months. I said, okay. I'll go out and talk to him. So I go out and I sit in the van. And, uh, and he said, uh, I'm leaving the church. I said, I thought you already did that. He said, well, I don't want to be a member of this church anymore. I said, why? I said, well, first of all, I said, well, you're not a member. So you don't have to worry about that. But why? Or, no, 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 I'm sorry. I didn't ask him why. He said, well, don't you want to know why? I said, well, I can tell you you want to tell me why. He said, well, I, I heard that you and the church, you honored soldiers for Remembrance Day. I said, yes, we did. He said, well, I can't believe that you would support murder. I didn't know what to say at that point, Brother Earl. I'd given all my one-line quips and nothing had worked. But no, listen, we honor those who gave their lives and who fought for our freedom. They gave all. You see the sign. Some, uh, all gave some, some gave all. And we honor that. And yet it seems when it comes to serving the King of Kings... When it comes to giving all for that country, somehow we draw a line and we say we shouldn't be too fanatical. We shouldn't be too uh, too engaged. We, 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 there's a line you have to draw. You have to use common sense. Common sense didn't give us freedom in America. Common sense didn't give us freedom at Calvary. Listen, it makes no sense that the God of heaven, who is perfect and pure and holy, would die for scum like us. That makes no sense. It does not compute. What God paid and what God received does not add up on an intellectual, our intellectual level. 
It doesn't make sense. But it is true, pure love. It's sacrifice. God gave everything he had because he loved us. And it's our reasonable service to love him in return. I read, I, I got these magazines, maybe you get them here, Voice of the Martyrs. That a special edition. Remember the man, young man, John Chow, I think his name was? Went to the north, uh, what was that called? Island, north, uh, Sengala, something like that. 2018, what's that? Yeah. This tribe had no contact with the outside world. None. Known to be hostile to anybody who tried to come in there. He prepared for years. The media tried to pass it off as just some adventure hunter that he was. Trying to colonize this tribe. This young man had prepared for years to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to that tribe. He had forsaken having a family. He said, I know it'd be too dangerous. Wouldn't want to put my wife and children in position knowing where I'm going and the danger that I face. He sacrificed everything. I didn't know this until I read the article. He, he made three attempts to get on that island. A group of fishermen took him. They, they took him and got him close enough where he could take a little inflatable raft up to the island. Three times he tried to get on the island. He was driven off the first time. The second time he was actually shot at with arrows and spears. One lodged in his Bible. And he opened his Bible. I wish I had the article here. I just thought of the story. I wasn't planning on giving this tonight. But he opened the Bible. The, the, arrow, the tip of the spear or the arrow had stopped at a place that reaffirmed his call to go to these people. He knew what he was facing. The third time he goes to the island, he makes it on shore. The last they saw him, he was being buried in the ground. He wrote in his journal. He struggled. Listen, he struggled. I don't want to die. But I cannot go back on my commitment to my Lord. And this is his prayer. His prayer he writes in his journal. May my sacrifice be a way for the next one to reach these people with the gospel of the Lord Jesus. 26 years old. 26 years old. Burnt offering. He put it all on the altar. We can't even put Wednesday night on the altar. We can't put door knocking on Saturday on the altar. We can't put Netflix on the altar.
And we wonder, why don't we have revival? Like it's some mystery to us. It's not a mystery. It's not a mystery. Now listen, this was all an introduction. I was trying to get to the message. Here's the message. Okay, I'm going to give it to you in about five minutes. Maybe less. All of these offerings God set up for the people of Israel was so they could fellowship with him. I want you to think about this. People say, well, the offerings is what God wanted. No. He didn't want the offerings. He required them, but that's not what he wanted. He wanted the people. You know what David said in Psalm 51? Sacrifice an offering thou wouldest not, else I would give it. A broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Thou wilt not despise. A broken and a contrite heart. You know what God wanted? All these offerings and all these laws and all these, listen, look at this Bible, look, look at all the rules and look at all, listen, he wants you. He wants your heart. He wants to fellowship with you. Is your all on the altar? Well, I got more on the altar than he does. That's not the question. Is your all on the altar? Is there anything more important to you than fellowship with God? If there is, you need to put it on the altar. I need to put it on the altar. Well, my family, brother. I, preacher, I can't. You know, my, my family, family first. Jesus said, if you're not willing to forsake family, you can't be my disciple. You can't. See, here's what, here's the problem. Here's the problem. Sum it up in one word. Trust. Trust. We think if we put all on the altar that God's going to call us to do, require something of us, something's going to happen that we can't control and we're going to regret it. I'll tell you why we think that. We don't trust him. You know who loves your family more than you do? He does. You know who loves you more than you do? He does. He's too wise to make a mistake. 
and he's too loving to do you harm. Say, so what about this thing? This, this thing came in my heart and this in my life, and this hurts. God helped me a while back to see there's a difference between hurt and harm. God will never harm you. What he does is always for your good. It might hurt. Sometimes hurts come in our life and they help us. And so what God does might hurt, but it won't harm you. It'll be for your good. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. What purpose are you living for? If it's his, you know what you'll say? It's good to put all on the altar and see how God works. See what God does. You can trust him. You can trust him. This is what he's after. He wants your heart. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord. Draw us nearer to you now in genuineness, in humility, in faith. May we draw near unto God with full assurance of faith. And may we just lay all on the altar Someone here tonight, they're unsaved. God, I believe that if they've been listening, you have revealed to them their sinfulness. God, may they understand that the only way to be accepted by you is through Jesus Christ. May they understand that Christ died for our sins, that he rose again the third day, that he offers eternal salvation to all who will turn from themselves and turn from their sins and turn to Christ. And Lord, may they be saved tonight. May they trust you. And God, for us as believers, help us to live what we sing. Live what we preach. Thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for calling to us. Now God help us to respond to that call and lay all on the altar. In Jesus' name I pray. Let's stand together. Some have come already.